Hey, we are in a sermon series called Pillars. Uh, We are looking at what came out of the Reformation, these five incredible truths that stand alone, but always together. Uh, We're looking this morning at God's word alone. So if you have your uh, your Bibles, the scriptures with you, we're going to look at two places this morning. We're going to start in the middle of the Bible in the Psalm, Psalm 138, look at a verse there. And then we're going to spend most of our time in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to make note of that. Also, you'll have this word for you uh, in your bulletins, and the word will be on the screen as well. Okay, when you are in an argument, uh, which I know that church people never get in arguments, right? I mean, so when we are in arguments, uh, what or who has the final word? And I know as parents, uh, we like to have that final word. Is that not true? I mean, how many times as parents do we say the same thing that our parents said to us? And the final word was because I told you so. I said so. Hey, I mean, I'm the authority. I'm the parent here because I'm the parent. I have the final word. How's that going for you parents? How's it going for our our parents, you know? But there is a reality, a truth, a scriptural truth of authority. And our parents do have that. Well, as we get older, especially as we uh, talk or discuss or argue uh, with spouses or with friends or others, we try to find the the right authority, right? Uh, We want to have somebody else stand beside us as an authority to to make our point, to to prove that the other person is wrong and we are much smarter. So when we can, we will say things like, well, according to, and fill in the authority of choice, uh, the one who has that ability. According to this expert, they agree with me. Therefore, I must be right. I have, I have reason on my side. I have authority on my side. I have voice on my side. What are you thinking? But when it comes, you know, to, to all these big questions, the question of what or who has the final word, and that's so important. And really, what is the ultimate authority? Is there an ultimate authority over us? We see coming out of the Reformation, and this is back in the 16th century, coming out of the Reformation was this reality in what Scripture teaches that the ultimate authority is Scripture alone. It's God's Word. It's interesting because right before that Reformation time, the church's view before the Reformation was this, is that the authority comes from kind of three different places. The authority comes from God's word. The authority comes from the tradition, the tradition of the church. And the authority comes from, well, the teaching of the church, specifically the Pope. So you have this like three-legged stool that you could argue on about what authority is. And out of there, we realize it's scripture alone. Martin Luther was really the the one who, by God, used to help point us to this truth. Uh, Martin Luther was called uh, to uh, uh, stand before what was called the Diet of Worms. Talk about a title that could get really confused if you don't know what that is. A Diet of Worms sounds like a terrible weight loss program, does it not? It sounds like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Of course I'm going to lose weight if I have a Diet of Worms. Well, the Diet is an imperial assembly. That's what it was, a Diet. And, And Worms, or Worms is the way we would pronounce it, Worms is a city in Germany. And on April 17th and 18th, Martin Luther will, will stand before this diet of worms, but really stand before this imperial assembly, and the emperor, Charles V, is presiding. 
And he's to stand up there and they don't want him to really preach. They don't want him to, to talk and to share his view. They're there to make sure that he's going to recant. He's going to say, uh, I'm going to say all these wrong things. I've said all these wrong things. I'm going to turn the other direction. So they have before Martin Luther as he has this entire, you know, like big imperial, all the high and powerful, the most powerful people in the world are there. And there he has his writings, like 25 writings. I said, Martin Luther, will you recant from the heresy that you have written? I mean, this was a big deal, so much so that like in trembling and fear, he's like, there's a lot of stuff here. Can I have another day? Will you give me one more day to kind of ponder it? And that day, of, that, that day and night of prayer and anguish, of what do I do? I mean, in many ways, feeling like my life is on the line. I mean, if I don't recant from what I have said, things like salvation is by God's grace alone and faith alone in Christ alone, according to scripture alone. If I, if I don't recant, I could lose my very life. And he says these famous words when he appears the next day. He says this, unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted and my conscience is captivated to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. What an incredible stance that he took. His life, he was, he left out of there. He was actually kidnapped, but kidnapped by those who loved him and taken away to be protected. So his life would be preserved. But he was so convinced of scripture alone that as he was in hiding, he would be translating God's holy word to all the people, to the Germans in their own language so that every single one of them can know that God loves them and know the beauty of God's word. Until that time, isn't it amazing to think ordinary people didn't have the God's word in their ordinary language? Well, this morning we're gonna look at God's word alone, the final word, the final authority. We're gonna look at three things. I got three points for you. We're gonna see God's final word we're going to see God's sufficient word, and we're going to look at God's inerrant word. Now, every Sunday I stand up here, and the biggest challenge is I know that I am not going to be able to say everything. If you try to say everything, you say nothing. And I know, even starting this, that, that I guarantee that through this sermon, if you're leaning in and listening, there'll be things that'll think, huh, I want to know more. I have plenty of books I could point you to, Scripture being the primary one. And as a preacher, it's hard to know. We're going to talk about God's word alone, but know that this, although this sermon is going to focus on there, every week we're going to look to God's word. And every week we'll be unpacking more truth and that reality. You can't say it all, but here's what God's put on my heart for this morning. And so let's look to Psalm 138, verse 2, and then we will turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Let's be mindful, whether we're in the Psalms or uh, in that pastoral epistle of, of 2 Timothy, Genesis to Revelation, this is all God's word. Uh, he didn't give us this word just to entertain us. This is a living and active word that's been given to transform us. It'll never lead us astray. And we can trust it, uh, every single word of it completely. So let's hear the word of the Lord, uh, Psalm 138, beginning in verse 2. 
Psalm of David, he writes, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Of all things in creation, we know that in Philippians 2, we're told that Jesus is given that name that is above all names. Let's now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 14 through 17. Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing to a young preacher named Timothy. And here's what he says to him, inspired by the Spirit. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. We have learned that that is his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love this because that sacred writings usually often refers to the Old Testament. All of God's word is one God's word, and yet we see throughout it, our only hope of salvation is through faith alone in Christ Jesus. Why? Because all of scripture, verse 16 is breathed out by God, or God breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you that you love us enough to communicate to us. All of your creation speaks. All of your creation tells your story, but God, your word and your son, that is the ultimate storyteller. So God, we ask that you would come and do that which only you could do, that you'd be pleased to tell your story, your truth through a broken sinner like me. That you would use the preaching of your word to bring you glory and to bring us closer to you and to make us more like your son, to even bring life to that in us which is dead. God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name, that name that we read that is above every name? God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior. And it's in Jesus's holy and matchless name that we pray, amen. If you wanna follow along with me, you'll find that outline for you. And the first thing we're gonna see is that final word. It's God's final word, God's ultimate authority. In Psalm 138.2, again, it tells us that God is exalted above all things, his name and his word. There's nothing that will rival that. I mean, our God is, is, is above and beyond all of creation. That God's word is the final word. But if you were to write a love story, for those of you who are in love, those of you who have been in love, uh, if you were to communicate a love story, how would you tell a good love story? What do you need to tell a really good love story? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about when your heart is fully engaged. I mean, you're going to need things like poetry. You're going to try to grasp for words that, that really can explain it. You probably will, if you're really in love, you might even break out into song and have song. 
A good love story, it's going to have passion. It's going to have longing. It's probably going to have brokenness and redemption. Uh, a good love story where you're telling, it's often containing hyperbole. Oftentimes using the most colorful language that you can find to describe your love. Often it has mystery. I can't even tell you how I feel this way. I don't even know where it came from. See, the amazing thing about the Bible is this Bible is God's love story to us. So it's God's authoritative, listen to this, it's God's authoritative word and narrative. It's being told to us authoritatively, it's God's word, but it's being told to us as a story. And as any good love story, he's going to use all the things, all the components of, of a good love story. He's going to find poetry. You're going to find songs. You're going to find hyperbole. I mean, you're going to find colorful language to describe how God loves us. You'll find a story that is completely true. It's not just a love story that's, that's not true. Uh, something that, that, what's that guy Sparks? What was his first name? You don't want to know his first name. Anyway, what was his first name? Nicholas, that's it. Couldn't hear you. Nicholas Sparks, you know, so that he, he, he writes these love stories that, that make millions or whatever, but, but you know, they're, they're, they don't, they're not true. They're not life-giving. They're not inerrant. But in God's word, it's true. It's, it's without error. It'll never lead us astray. But we have to realize that God's word is still a, thor- a, a story. It's an authoritative word, but it's an authoritative narrative. And in this authoritative story or narrative, God tells us who he is. Interestingly, man made in his image can never figure out God apart from what we call revelation, apart from a God who reveals himself to us. And the good news is that's who our God is. He reveals himself to us. We discover about him the ways he's revealed himself to us. And we've looked at it. Theologians will look at there's two primary ways that God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us what we call general revelation and something called special revelation. And general revelation is this. It's all of creation. As God has, has revealed who he is through creation. It was this week that Katie and JP and I were on our walk with our dogs and, and we were in the neighborhood. And I don't know if you saw the moon, the little crescent moon that, that was out. This, this, you actually see the entire moon, but you just saw the crescent. And you saw a Jupiter was glowing and, and all of creation was telling a couple story. And we, we stopped and we read the Psalms. It was just beautiful to realize, man, look at God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth when we consider the moon and the stars and the work of your hands. What are we that you're mindful of us? General revelation tells us about God. As a matter of fact, uh, Psalm 19, Psalm 19 will say this to us, one through six. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their voice to the ends of the world. In them, he sets a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. It's describing creation saying in all of that, God is speaking. As a matter of fact, Paul will write in Romans chapter 1, in Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now listen to this. For what we what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. Hmm. God's word will say that we should know of a God because creation tells the story of our God, that we are left without excuse for not knowing him. Okay, I did the eclipse. How many people saw the eclipse? Was it pretty not amazing? I jumped on a plane last Monday. Last Monday, I took Allegiant Airlines to Concord, North Carolina for 100 bucks by myself. As I got off the plane at 8.30 in the morning, my dear friend and one of our elders, Patrick Davey, had just dropped his, co- his daughter off at Covenant College, had driven over to where my airport was, spent the night, picked me up at 8.30 in the morning, and the two of us drove down to Manning, South Carolina, a really interesting place in the world, that Don Langmo has a tree farm. And we sat there on the Langmo tree farm and watched the eclipse. And I'm telling you, it was fantastic. It was like two and a half minutes of complete darkness. But just watching that entire thing, um, it, was, it was a moving experience. And again, as a believer, knowing by God's grace, the reality who created the heavens and earth and sustains them, it was really, it was in many ways worshipful. But it wasn't just worshipful for me. I heard more and more people say, that was so amazing. I felt like I worshipped. And how do you not, when you see heaven and earth, people were saying it was like a religious experience. But according to scripture, it's like when we realize the God who made that and the God whose laws allow the moon and the sun to pass in a way that's going to darken the earth, we should fear that God. We should be a little nervous of that God. That's an almighty God and we are sinful people. You see, we might acknowledge that there is a God, but we need special revelation. We need God to tell us how we are to be saved. We have to reveal himself to us and the need of his son. So God's word uh, tells us about who we are. It tells us about God and man and salvation. It's what we read in chapter 3, verse 15. It's those scriptures that make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That general revelation isn't sufficient. We're, we're without, we, we have no excuse, but we need God to speak more clearly for us to understand. So what does God's word tell us? What's that final word tell us? Well, it tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us that every single one of you, male and female, have been made in his image. God's word will say all of us are that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But it also tells us about us that every single one of us has been marred by sin. We're born into it. We, we're broken. We're by nature children of wrath and dead in our trespasses and sins. We looked at that with grace alone. It tells about all of us. All of us are like lost sheep. All of us desperately need to be rescued by a loving shepherd. And his name is Jesus. God's word will tell us how to, how to act. And he created us for himself, how to bring him glory, how to enjoy him forever. God's word tells us what he requires of us. And remember, I've said this to you often, Orangewood, everything that God requires of us, God provides for us. And everything he requires of us, he provides for us in his son, Christ Jesus. And what does God ultimately require of us? Well, because of the grace he gives us, it's faith and the gift of faith and embracing his son and standing in him, Christ Jesus, alone. 
So what does God's word tell us? It tells us how to be saved. It tells us, as we've been looking at it, it's by God's grace alone. It's through faith alone. It's in Christ alone. It's according to scripture alone. It's all for the glory of God alone. We'll look at that after Labor Day. So what does having God's ultimate final word really mean to your life and my life? What does it look like for us? What does it that mean for us? Because I, I, I think that the Bible is clear. He's got the final authoritative word. But I don't think we live in a time where we are wrestling with what the church says. As a matter of fact, it was very interesting. This week in the Orlando Sentinel, in the opinion section, there was a local ordained PCUSA, Presbyterian Church, United States of America. It's a mainline denomination of the Presbyterian Church. That she was writing, that she was frustrated that that the denomination that she was a part of was speaking for her on issues that she didn't agree with. And she would say, here's a quote, we speak for ourselves. Difficult issues should be left outside the church. Now, I'm telling you right there, that's, a, that's an interesting one right there, isn't it? Where do they go? But we should speak for ourselves. And we have to stop and say, well, it's easy to look at that opinion and say, well, that's interesting, but do we not live our lives the same way? Don't we live in our time where individual opinion matters more than anything? What matters most, we don't care necessarily about what councils and popes say. We care about what we say. In a postmodern world where truth is relative, what's truth to you? And how do you believe it? But we have to realize that God is telling us, because his name is above every name and his word's above every name. You ready for this? That our opinion is not what's most important. It's his opinion what's most important. I mean, it's his opinion. He's creating, creator God. So we have to go to God's word and say things like this. God, our culture has certain views. There are certain things that we see. But God, what is your view of marriage? God, what is your opinion of sex? What is, what is your view of, of gender roles? What is your view of race? What is your view of politics? What's your view of rest? What is your view of my job? What is your view of families? Now, are you feeling uncomfortable? <laughs> I mean, there's a sense where you think, oh my goodness, I mean, here we go. I mean, do we want God meddling in the bedroom? Uh, do we want God telling us who and who we shouldn't be associating with or how we should be living? I mean, who has the final authority? Is it our authority? It's very interesting, Thomas Jefferson, they had the Jeffersonian Bible that, that he would take out the parts that were offensive to him. Uh, being a deist, not believing in, in uh, the supernatural, he'll take out all the things that talk about miracles and the things that didn't really jive with him. Now, what did Jefferson do? A really, really amazingly bright man that our country owes a lot to his leadership, but basically saying, I am above the word of God. I have the authority to tell you what is right, what is wrong, what I pick, what I choose. Whoa. Your name is above all names. Your word is above all words when we pick and choose. Now, God's word is always gonna lead us to a loving, gracious God uh, who has created male and female in his image. And I think that even things like marriage, we, we, we argue wrongly. We argue more from morally than we do from creation and from the authority of God and God's story. And, and sometimes we argue with, with sticks and stones and anger and venom and not love and peace of, and joy. You see, these views are important views because not what you think and what I think, but what does God think? 
We also got to know that God's word is very clear that he has spoken to us throughout time. But in these last days, these days, according to the writer of Hebrews, that God spoke to us through his son. I love that in Hebrews chapter one, it tells us in former ways and in former times, God spoke through the prophets, but man, they were only like, they were like the warm-up band. All those fights before the big fight last night, that, that, that was just like to get you to the big fight. And then the son comes. And the son comes, and he's better than angel. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Moses. He's better than them all. And I'm telling you, when he speaks, he's got the final word, because he is the word of God in flesh, and no one speaks after him. I mean, you don't need any additional revelation. We don't need anybody digging up some tablets in upstate New York, where I grew up, to, to come up with different new revelation, new disciples, new followers, new stuff. People are going to ring your doorbell and say, well, this is equivalent to God's word. Man, God's son spoke, dropped the microphone, walk away. Are you kidding me? We're going to have somebody else stand up and say, well, you know what? He didn't quite say enough. We need to have a little bit more. My favorite dessert is strawberry shortcake. Love strawberry shortcake. And a man like me loves dessert. But the best strawberry shortcake is with fresh strawberries. Maybe plant city strawberries. Maybe uh, some in different areas that they're fresh. Uh, there's something about that that make it awesome. And yet, you're not going to ever get a new fruit. You're going to get strawberries. Now stick with my analogy here. God's word is living and active. It's always fresh. It comes alive because it is a living and active document. And when we read it, it comes alive to us like fresh fruit. But we can't find and look for new revelation. Okay, God has spoken, and the book is sufficient. So let's link from that for the sufficiency. The final word is his, the sufficient word. The sufficient word. It's how is God's word sufficient? Well, it's sufficient, the scripture will tell us, for faith, and for life, faith, and for practice, for things like believing and living, it's sufficient for our salvation, empowered by the Spirit and pointing us to Christ. It's not sufficient to teach us geometry. It's not sufficient for us to be looking at all the answers of science. Why? Because what is the Bible? It's authoritative narrative. The Bible is not a textbook. He didn't write the Bible to refute Darwin. He, it's, it's an all-inclusive history book, but it's not all-inclusive history, right? I mean, it's history told from a very narrow point of view. One man, Abraham, who will bless all nations. One nation, Israel, that'll be a blessing to all nations. One savior, Jesus. I mean, it's clearly on the local channel of news. It's God's Yahweh channel is what he's going to give us the history of the world. There's a lot of the history that he doesn't tell us. The Bible is, contains all truth, but it doesn't tell us all truth. All truth is God's truth, but there's truth that doesn't reveal to us. It will tell us the source of the truth and how we can understand the truth, but it's not a science book. You see, when, I, when we ask Scripture to do something that it was never intended to do, what is it? It's an authoritative narrative. You're putting it in an untenable situation. It's sufficient because everything that God requires of us, God provides for us, and he tells us in here it's sufficient for faith. In practice. God's word is a sufficient word. It was sufficient for God's word to create all things. Think of the power of that word. It's a, scripture will tell us that he spoke and the worlds came into existence. God's word is sufficient for creation. Watch this. God's word is sufficient for recreation, making us new. 
God breathed life into Adam and it says that he became a living being. God spoke and the world came into existence. God breathed life. He God breathed into the scriptures and they became a living and active word. It's sufficient. It'll never lead us astray. It's, it's infallible. It won't lead us wrong. It was a guide that we can trust. It's, it's inerrant. It's God's word. We're gonna look at that in, in a minute. But it's sufficient. What is it sufficient for? Let's talk about you. What's it sufficient for for you? Well, salvation, faith, comfort. God's word is sufficient to comfort us, to remind us of a servant son who went before us and suffered not just with us, but in our place. To comfort us, to remind us no matter how bad it is, God wins. No matter what's going on, he never leaves us. He is Emmanuel. He is a mighty God. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the Prince of Peace. It brings us comfort. It's sufficient to feed us, that we could feed on his word and, and it's sweeter than honey and to, to meditate on it and to feed it and to grow and become more like Christ. It's sufficient to defend us. And when we're tempted, what did Jesus use when he's tempted there in the wilderness by Satan himself after his baptism? What does he quote? He quotes God's word. He, de- he defends himself, hiding himself in the word of God. I love Psalm 119. I think it's around six. It's going to say, how does a young man keep his way pure? Man, that's not the question we're all asking right now. How does a young man or woman keep his way pure? By living according to his word. By meditating on it. It's our only hope. Well, if God's word is the final authority and God's word is sufficient authority, shouldn't we be feeding on it daily? I mean, if it's an authoritative narrative, it's more than just a story. Listen, as Christians, it's our story. Well, it's God's story, but, but God has woven us into his story. I mean, it's his story. It's our story. And the one amazing thing about the Bible, the one of the many amazing things, but the truly amazing thing about the Bible, it's true for all of us. It's not just true for some of us. It's true for all of us. It's a story that describes all of us. It's a story that can change any of us and all of us because of the mystery of the gospel that is contained there. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The Bible describes us perfectly. Right now, I'm reading through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And some of it's very interesting stuff. But by the grace of God, as I read it, and I I read about God's people continually doing the wrong thing and continually wandering and and needing to be rebuked and disciplined. And, and And I read that, and I tell you what, it's my story. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just like them. I get it. And they had to go into exile and they had to be driven away from your presence. You had to deal with, with sin. But I get it that Jesus had to go into exile for me. I, just, I, I get it that by God, by your grace, that, that the wrath that a holy God has to pour out on sinful people was placed on Christ alone. That I'm only saved by God's grace alone, a God who's so merciful. I love reading through Ezekiel and, and, and Jeremiah because as much as God's saying, man, I told you this was going to happen. This is going to happen. You can't hear about a God who can't say, but I got to rescue you. I got to restore you. I'm going to make it right. And I'm just saying, oh, God, thank you for making it right in Christ Jesus. It's my story. It's your story. It describes it perfectly. I know that we all like different stories, different genres, the way stories are told. Some of you might go to horror movies. Why would you ever do that? Isn't life scary enough? Some of you love comedies. Some of you love romance. What about what you read? 
To me, I, I love biographies. The best thing I could read is a biography. And I, I just read one, uh, really, it's just an incredible story. It's, it's called When Breath Becomes Air. It's a story, a true story of a young, brilliant neurosurgeon and neuroscientist uh, trained at Stanford, Cambridge, Yale, not bad pedigree. He does his residency at Stanford. He becomes one of the, the elite neurosurgeons in the world. And he's in his 30s and he contracts, although a non-smoker, lung cancer. And he goes from being the doctor to the patient and all that, what that means. And he flip-flops that reality and sees life completely different. And he's wrestling with mortality like never before. And there's faith as part of the element, a part of the story. Sometimes I wish it was clearer. But what an incredible story. You see, I love those biographies because they tell me stories, but the Bible isn't just a biography. It's our biography. It's God's biography of who he is. And it tells us his story and our story together. And it's a sufficient story. It's an authoritative narrative. It's beautiful. And we need to be in it. We need to hear it preached. We need to have it read. And the last thing is, is God's inerrant word. It says that the word of God is God breathed, that that he would actually breathe. He put his being upon those, those writers that were able to write with their own style, their own abilities. I, I hope you get to the point where you can just hear scripture read and you say, oh, that's Paul. Or, oh, that's Peter. Or that's clearly coming out of the judges. Or that's, that's you know, you can hear their voice because what God has done in this, what they call organic, plenary word of God. I mean, it's, it's using their gifts. It's not mechanical. It's years in their abilities, their knowledge, their experiences. But God breathes his very being upon them. There's a mystery of that. And it becomes this word of God. And it's without error. And it'll never lead us astray. And it communicates to us in a vernacular, in a language that we could understand. It's pretty amazing. I mean, again, that original autographs and the original, we would say how important it is of that being without error, never leading us astray. Why? Because of this. The word of God's got to be true if it's God-breathed. Because God is true. And there's no shadow of turning with him. If it's God's word, it's got to be an inerrant word. The Bible must be all true. And yet, remember I said earlier, all truths aren't contained in there. It's all true, but there's truth. All truth is God's truth, but it doesn't contain them all. But it has to be reliable. Why? Because it's from God. And we have to, if it is true, and it is reliable, and it is his, we have to submit to it. We were talking at the officer retreat about so many issues of Difficulty. We talked about um, how we do a better job empowering the women of our church. We talked about how do we serve communion and how frequently and what is, what is that. And we, we, we think about the traditions of our church. We think about uh, traditions of our denomination, but we really go to God's word. What is this telling us? And, and how are we submitting to this? I mean, it's not just your opinion, my opinion. It's what's God's opinion for all these things. And we realize some of them aren't culturally sensitive, but it's God's eternal word. What do we do? As a matter of fact, someone said, we talked about in the old days, um, this pulpit would be lifted higher than you. In the old days, many of the churches, uh, I would climb up into a pulpit. And why? Some will say it's, well, because, you know, it's easier to speak over a crowd. But there was something beautiful that was going on when they went up into the pulpit and they went up high. You know what they were doing? They're saying, God's word is above us. We're not above the word. We are being fed by this. We submit to this. This is God's word. We're God's people. We're the people of the word. And we have to listen to this as our final authority. So let me ask you a question. 
Are you reading it? I'm not here to guilt you out of it. But I'm here to say it's a living, active word. It's, a, it's your story. It's sufficient. It's the final word. It's the inerrant word. And we have incredible access to it. Let me encourage you. Daily feed upon it. I'm going to pick on you, Scott Brown. The Brown family, daily family devotions are close to it. Even on vacation. I'm proud of you. Proud of you for, for, for believing that. I haven't always had family devotions in my house. You've set a higher standard. But God has given me, by his grace, a love for it. And I hope every year not to not read it. It doesn't make me more holy. It doesn't make him love me more. I've just fallen in love with the author. And I can't get over how much he loves me. And I can't believe it's my story. And the number of years I've had the privilege of reading it from cover to cover, I hope I will until I have breath continue to do so. But are you reading it? Are you over it or are you submitting to it? Are you hearing it preached? We live in a time where church is so uh, optional and life is so busy. But God's word tells us that salvation comes from hearing. Hearing the preached word of God. And may we be people who gather around it. Let me conclude with this last verse that Paul would write out of Colossians 3, 14 through 17. It says this, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And this is really what I want you to hear of all of this. Is let, this let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. That's an authoritative narrative in practice. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. Amen. And let us pray. Oh, Father God, may the word of God, the word of Christ, dwell richly here at Orangewood. May it be our final word. May we live like it is our sufficient word. And God, I pray that uh, we would realize that this is your inerrant word. You'll never lead us astray. You'll never tell us what is not true. And the amazing thing about your word is this beautiful biography of who you are and who we are as your people because of the depth of love you would have for us and the rescue of your son. God, may we be a people of your word for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.